Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly, and I am here to share another Missing Monday with you. All of our longtime listeners know what Missing Mondays is, but if you are new here, welcome. Missing Mondays is a segment that was created to help keep missing persons' name and information in the media the best we can and to hopefully help aid in their return home. 90,000 people are missing in the U.S. at any given time, and while some are found alive or deceased, the majority are still missing today. For me, every single one of these Missing Mondays cases are very close to my heart. These are literally the cases that keep me up at night, wondering what happened. People do not just go poof and they're gone. Someone somewhere knows what happened to these individuals. And it's just a matter of coming forward with that information to help solve these cases and give these families a small shred of closure. Recently, there's been a lot of buzz in the true crime community about a baby named Holly who went missing 40 years ago. Her parents were murdered sometime between December 1980 and January 1981, and their bodies were discovered eventually in January 1981. Those bodies would be unidentified for decades until they were exhumed in 2011, and through DNA testing, they were able to identify who they were. They were identified as Dean and Tina Lynn Klaus. Dean and Tina had an infant daughter named Holly, and nothing of hers was ever found near their bodies. No clothing, no body of the baby, nothing. On June 9th, it was announced that baby Holly was found some 40 years later, and she was alive and well living in Oklahoma. There is so much more to learn about this case, and I will just actually link an article from the USA Today in the description of this episode, but this is proof to never give up hope, because though they happen few and far between, miracles can happen. Today's Missing Mondays case is one that might be a little bit more well-known for those serious true crime buffs out there. This case has been featured not only on Crime Watch Daily, a couple other YouTubers have covered it, but the TV channel Investigation Discovery had a show called Disappeared that it was featured on. This case also is known for an extremely disturbing and terrifying YouTube video that surfaced years after her disappearance, which we will get into in this episode. Today's Missing Monday's case is on the disappearance of Kayla Berg. Kayla Mae Berg was born on August 29, 1993 to her parents, Hope and Jim. When Kayla was just a young girl, her parents got divorced, but she and her brother Jimmy split their time between each of their houses and she remained close to both of her parents. Of course, the separation was hard on her, but to make matters worse, not long after their split, Kayla's father was diagnosed with cancer. Because he was diagnosed with cancer and he needed help, Kayla's father moved in with her grandparents so they could help take care of him. 
Her parents had split custody of the kids, but anytime the kids wanted to go and spend time with their father, their mother, Hope, always allowed them. She knew how important that time spent together was not only for the kids, but for Jim as well. Growing up, Kayla watched her father battle with this cancer, and he was in and out of treatments, and she kind of always felt somewhat hopeless because she just couldn't help him. And this carried over into her personality. Because she couldn't help her father, she instead helped anyone who she crossed paths with. She was an extremely compassionate and loving person and would literally do whatever she could to help someone. Kayla was also very well loved by her peers. She was a part of her high school gymnastics team, and on the weekends, she always was out socializing with her friends. This group of girls she ran around with were all extremely close. Kayla grew up in Antigo, Wisconsin, which is a fairly small town where everyone pretty much knew everyone, and so all of Kayla's friends had grown up together. And when you grow up so close like that together, the parents also become acquainted and know each other as well. This community was one of those cliche communities where people just felt safe. The kids would walk or ride their bikes to school or each other's houses or down the street to the market. The doors were left unlocked and just overall it was a quiet little town. So Kayla and all of her friends just felt comfortable running around with other friends they've known for a while and as she got older and became a teenager, she started doing what a lot of teenagers do. She started experimenting with partying and underage drinking. She was also telling her parents that she was staying at one friend's house but actually going somewhere else. And again, I think this is something that we've all done as young teens and at the age of almost almost 16, I think we feel invincible and like nothing bad could ever happen. Not to mention, we think we are so grown at this age and like we literally know it all. I don't even want to think about what I was doing at the age of 15 and 16, but I will say that my mama didn't even know the half of it. And though Kayla was doing these things, she wasn't a bad kid. She made sure she stayed in touch with her family. She honestly was just being your normal teenage girl experimenting in life. So because Antigo was such a small town, a lot of the fun happened over in a bigger city called Wausau, which was around 34 miles outside of Antigo. A lot of Kayla's friends had friends in Wausau, so Kayla also became acquainted with them as well. Now, a lot of these people that they knew in Wausau was a decent amount older than Kayla and her girlfriends, which made it the prime place to want to go for partying because a large majority of these people were of age and were supplying alcohol to these minors at these parties. And not only that, but there also was marijuana at the parties. So Kayla's mom did see a little bit of changes in Kayla's behavior. She had heard that Kayla was attending these parties, and she had also learned that Kayla began dating an older boy by the name of Miguel. Miguel was 19 years old, and he lived in Wausau, and it was at his house that these parties often took place. When Hope learned about Miguel and these parties, she did not approve of this at all. 
Hope obviously knows that teens experiment and do things that they shouldn't, but as a concerned parent, she really wanted to try and avoid all these things for her daughter. And she wanted to help set her daughter up for the best future that she could. Due to the path that she was watching Kayla go down and because she was struggling herself finding work in Antigo, she began considering moving to Texas. Hope had family in Texas and they all were really trying to encourage her to come there to get a fresh new start at life, but she didn't want to force her children to follow her. Despite knowing that Kayla may benefit from moving away from Anago, she still wanted to give both Kayla and her brother Jimmy the opportunity to stay behind with their sick father. She also didn't want them to resent her for forcing them to move, so she willingly and openly allowed them to choose freely what they wanted to do. Because Jimmy had just recently turned 18, he decided to stay in Antico with his friends. But Kayla went with her mother. She was very much a people pleaser and always wanted to make people happy and laugh, and that included her mother. It seems to me like maybe Kayla didn't want her mom to go off alone without one of her kids, and despite her father being ill, she picked to move to Texas with her mother. The move took place in the summer before Kayla's junior year. Kayla left behind all of her friends, her father, and her grandparents, and she also left behind her gymnastics team that she loved so much. But she also was looking forward to a fresh new start. At some point, her relationship with Miguel ended, and I'm not sure if that was because her mother disapproved of it or for some other reasons, but the two were no longer dating. This move had a lot of sadness for her, saying see you later to her friends, but she also held a lot of excitement for this brand new opportunity. Once getting to Texas, things were going great at first, but it wasn't long before both Hope and Kayla were rethinking their idea of moving. Hope was having a hard time finding work in Texas, and she and Kayla learned that the new high school that Kayla was set to attend didn't have a gymnastics team. And gymnastics was something that Kayla was so extremely passionate about and was practically her escape from reality. Whenever times got tough, she would go and work hard in the gym perfecting her routines. So finding out that the school didn't have a team completely devastated her. After three months in Texas, not only did Kayla and her mother both feel like they may have made a mistake with the move, Kayla's father's health also started to decline further. They decided that this was a sign that it was time to pack their bags and head back to Antigo. On August 2nd, 2009, after over 20 hours of driving, they pulled back into Antico and literally breathed a sigh of relief because they were finally back where they felt like they belonged. All of Kayla's friends were so ecstatic to have her back. They were in their final weeks of summer vacation and they were ready to pick up where they left off and make up for the lost time without their friend. Because they weren't anticipating moving back so soon, both Hope and Kayla didn't have a place lined up for where they were going to live. Hope was going to stay with a friend until she was able to obtain an apartment for herself and Kayla, and Kayla was going to stay at her grandparents' house where her dad was still living so he could get help because he was sick. 
But the grandparents' house was a pretty small house, so Kayla didn't have a private room, and she actually was sleeping on a cot. Because the lack of privacy and such a small house, most of the time Kayla just jumped between several friends' houses to stay at. Instantly after getting back into town, Kayla is off with her girlfriends, and once more they're partying and running around Wausau. Also, after getting back to Anago, Kayla and Miguel started talking and seeing each other again. So all in all, things for Kayla were falling right back into place, and she was so incredibly happy. Her family was also so happy to see her perk right back up and be her cheerful self. When Kayla went missing on August 11th, just over a week after returning home, they were completely shocked. August 11th, 2009 started off as any typical day for Kayla. She called her mom that morning and told her that she was going to go hang out at a friend's house that day, which was something that she did often. As I stated, because the grandparents' house was fairly small, she was bouncing from friend's house to friend's house, but she always made sure to communicate with her parents where exactly she was going to be. Kayla and her friend did normal stuff that day. They went out somewhere and hung out, and eventually they made their way back to her house. When they got back to her house, Kayla's older brother was there hanging out also. Apparently, Kayla's brother Jimmy was best friends with Kayla's friend's brother, so everyone just kind of all hung out together. Also at the house was a few other people, including 24-year-old Kevin Kilchelski, which this Kevin guy was someone everyone knew. He was someone who often hung out with everyone, even though he was significantly older. And from my understanding, this was normal for people who are a little older to hang out with these younger people, which if you ask me, it's a little bit of asking for trouble, but once more, I did it as well. I remember some guy friends having older siblings that we all ran around with, so it seems as if this is not completely out of the normal for most people. Kevin was one of Jimmy's best friends, and he often was the go-to guy for rides. At some point while they were all hanging out, Kayla's friend had to leave to go to work, and instead of Kayla leaving, she just hung back at the house to hang out with her brother, who she was extremely close with, and his friends. It was during this time that Kevin and Kayla had made plans to hang out later that evening, which this wasn't anything, again, out of the normal. Kevin often gave Kayla and her friends rides to and from Wausau and around Antigo, and from what I gathered, he was one of the few people that they all hung out with that had a car. After hanging out for a bit, Kayla then left and headed back to her grandparents' house to spend some time over there with her dad. Around 8.45 that night, she called Kevin telling him that she was ready for him to pick her up. Not long later, Kevin arrived to pick her up and she told her dad that Kevin was taking her to a friend's house and off she went. The following morning, Kayla's father, Jim, realized that Kayla wasn't back home, and she also never called to say whether she was going to stay the night at a friend's house or not, which this was something that Kayla was very good about doing. If she hadn't intended on going home, she always made sure to notify her parents of her plans. No matter what she was doing, she always made sure to make that contact. 
especially because Kayla didn't have a cell phone, so she relied on calling her family from a house phone at the place that she planned to stay, just so she could make sure that her family wouldn't worry about her. So because Jim knew this wasn't like his daughter, he immediately called Kevin to figure out what had gone on the night prior. Kevin said that he dropped Kayla off at a friend's house after the two of them had drove around for a bit. He said that when he dropped her off, everything seemed fine with Kayla and that after dropping her off, he hadn't heard from her since. Now, though this was not like their daughter, Kayla's parents didn't start to panic quite yet, and that's because a few days prior, Kayla and her girlfriends went missing. Kayla and her friends went to a party, but each of the girls had told their parents something different. Kayla said that she was going to one friend's house, that friend said she was going to another friend's house, and so on. But instead, the girls attended a local party that was being held at some field. Kayla and all but one of her friends didn't have cell phones. So if we can all remember what it was like before we got a cell phone, communication was slim to none. For whatever reason, the following morning after this field party, Kayla's mom needed to get in contact with her, so she called the friend's house that she was supposed to be staying at. After speaking to the parent of that girl, she learned that Kayla and her friend hadn't stayed there at all that night, and that friend was supposed to be staying at another friend's house. So down the line, they went calling all the different parents, learning that none of these girls were where they were supposed to be. And the one friend with the cell phone wasn't answering and couldn't be reached. Naturally, all of the parents were worried and they went straight to the police station to begin the process of reporting them all missing. During them filling out this missing person's paperwork, a phone call came in and it was finally the girl with the cell phone making contact. Pretty much all of the girls admitted that they had lied, they said that they were out partying all night long, they were very apologetic, but thankfully they were all safe and they were okay. But this is why her family was pumping the brakes on jumping to conclusions and rushing to the police. Clearly, this was something that she very recently did, and maybe she just hadn't learned her lesson from the time before. So they really were just trying to chalk it up to her being out with her friends and not having a cell phone, making it difficult for her to call her family. Her parents decided that instead of waiting for Kayla to come home or make contact, that they were just going to go ahead and begin calling all of her friends to see if she was there or if they knew where she was. To their surprise, most of her friends said they hadn't seen or spoken to Kayla. But one friend had said that she had seen Kayla the night before when Kayla was out with Kevin and the two of them stopped at the McDonald's that she was working at. She had stated that Kevin stayed outside in the car while Kayla ran inside to talk to her friend. Kayla was in good spirits and she seemed super excited because she had told her friend that Kevin had a coming home present for her. And apparently that coming home present was a huge stash of marijuana. 
Kayla had told her friend that she and Kevin had just planned to drive around for a while, getting high, and then she was supposed to go spend the night at another friend's house. Before leaving the McDonald's, Kayla told her friend that she would call her later that night, but Kayla never did. So, Even though Kayla's main friend group didn't know where she was or hadn't spoken with her, her family was still hopeful that she was just going to turn up and that she was just likely at another friend's house that they hadn't thought to call. Four days after Kayla had last been seen, Kayla's brother had heard that she was over at one of her friend's house that her family hadn't thought to call. After hearing this, her parents kind of breathed a sigh of relief. Because all this time, she had been over at this other friend's house, and they hadn't thought to call, and so all was well. But come to find out, after Kayla's brother got into contact with this person, it was confirmed that Kayla actually wasn't there either. And somehow this was just one major miscommunication, and she had never been there at any point in time over the last several days. It was after this that her family realized that this wasn't just Kayla staying somewhere else. This was serious. And I just want to say once more that this seemed like a major miscommunication. And though by the time they reported Kayla missing, nearly a week had gone by, there was a lot of factors that went into why they hadn't called quicker. Kayla didn't have a phone, and she was known to bounce from friend's house to friend's house. Even though she always kept in touch with family, there was that one incident where they were in the process of reporting her missing, and she and her friends turned up. I can see her parents' reasoning behind not jumping to conclusions again, but it's very unfortunate the way the events played out. Because had she been reported missing sooner, maybe something could have been done. But again, nobody is at fault here, and it was just a series of extremely unfortunate events. When she was finally reported as missing, the police were a little bit hesitant as well to assume that something had happened and that she wasn't just a runaway. When they spoke with her friends, the authorities didn't feel like they were being all that truthful and that maybe they were hiding things or just telling half-truths. They felt that her friends also seemed to be holding some information back, so to them, they assumed that the friends knew more than what they were saying and that Kayla likely ran off with someone like a boyfriend or another friend. However, the more authorities dug into the case and tried to piece together some more information, they started to realize that some of the stories that they were hearing and being told just weren't adding up. The last person that had seen Kayla was Kevin. So authorities started with him and he had told them that he dropped her off at her boyfriend Miguel's house in Wausau. When authorities went to question Miguel, he told them that Kayla was not dropped off at his house, he never saw Kayla that night, and that the last time that he had seen her was at a party the week before she went missing. So one of these guys here seems to be lying. Either Kevin is lying about dropping Kayla off at Miguel's, or Miguel is lying about Kayla being there. So Authorities went back to Kevin and started asking him some more questions. 
They asked him at what address it had been that he dropped Kayla off at, which he gave to them. But here is where things get a little interesting. The address he claimed to have dropped her off at was a house that Miguel had previously lived in, but Miguel had recently moved not far from this house into another house, and the reason for his move was because this house was actually deemed unsafe to live in. So it was condemned, and Miguel was forced to move out of it. And this move for Miguel had taken place a month or so before Kayla had ever came back to Antigo from Texas. So Kayla knew that he had moved into a different house and she had actually been there before. And that was where that party was that Miguel said he last saw her at. So with that knowledge, why would Kayla tell Kevin to drop her off at an empty condemned house? Kevin even told authorities that when he dropped her off at this house, there was not a single light on inside and it seemed as if nobody was home. And yet he dropped her off there anyways, sometime after 10 p.m. on that night, and he didn't care to stay behind to make sure that she actually got inside the home safely, even though he clearly says that it looked like nobody was home. When Kayla's family heard that this is what Kevin was saying happened, they had red flags flying for them left and right. Kayla was absolutely terrified of the dark. I'm not talking a little afraid. I'm talking extremely afraid. And she was so afraid that she had nightmares about the dark for as long as her family could remember. She always had this worry that something bad was going to happen to her in the dark. For Kayla to just walk up to a house that she knew was abandoned and had zero lights on, this was something that she absolutely would never do. With Kevin saying he dropped her off and Miguel saying he never saw her, authorities were desperately trying to find ways on how to figure out what had happened to Kayla. Because Kayla didn't have a cell phone, they didn't have a way to ping her final location or to even get a timeline of events. They did, however, pull the records for Miguel's cell phone to see if maybe they could find any communication on his phone to indicate that he had spoken to Kayla and to see if maybe they had possibly set up plans for her to be dropped off. They also searched both Miguel's current house he lived in as well as the abandoned home. Both of the houses showed absolutely no sign of Kayla, and there was zero evidence on Miguel's cell phone records to show that he even communicated with Kayla that day. She hadn't called him from her dad's phone, nor any friend's phones, and you would think that if they had planned to get together or planned for her to be dropped off, there was going to be some sort of communication to Miguel at some point in time. Of course, there's the possibility that they had planned that she would be dropped off days in advance, but because she was a 15-year-old girl, I feel like there would have been more communication or at least a call to say that she was on her way, but there was none. Kayla's friends were also shocked to learn that she had apparently went to go meet up with Miguel because Kayla always told her friends her plans, especially if the plans were to hang out with her boyfriend. 
they would have known if this was something that had been planned for a while, which once more, this goes hand in hand with the fact that there was zero calls to Miguel from Kayla. To her friends, if she truly was dropped off there, it was something that she would have decided last minute because she would have told them. And if she had decided to hang out with him on a random whim, there would have been communication to him. Again, there wasn't. To everyone, everything that Kevin said just didn't make any kind of sense, and everyone became extremely suspicious of him and his story. A month after Kayla was reported missing, Kevin was arrested for reckless and endangerment for providing Kayla with marijuana and dropping her off at an abandoned house. Unfortunately, these charges would eventually be thrown out due to there being a lack of evidence. Police continued working and doing whatever they could to find Kayla, but they really had so little information to go on, and no matter what direction they searched, their searches just always came back to two possibilities, and that is that Kevin or Miguel are lying or not fully telling the truth. And though police were keeping Miguel on their radar, all of Kayla's friends said that there is absolutely no way that he was involved. The two of them were very happy together, and he was always so extremely good to Kayla, and Kayla never complained about any kind of relationship issues. Her friends were completely certain that Kevin had to have done something to Kayla. Her friends were all hung up on the fact that Kayla would have told at least one of them if she had planned to go see Miguel, especially that friend that she had seen at McDonald's just hours before she supposedly was dropped off at that abandoned house. And another detail that her friends were also stuck on was the fact that, yes, Kevin often gave Kayla and other people rides places, it was never to Miguel's, and that's because Miguel would always come and get Kayla. He had his own car, and always was willing and ready to pick up Kayla whenever she wanted him to be there. She never needed to be dropped off there or given a ride, unless she was riding there with a group of friends for a party. So this just really stuck out to her friends as odd, and to them made them question Kevin's story even more. But Kevin had an alibi for the rest of the night, which his mother backed up, saying that he was at home with her. Kevin allegedly dropped Kayla off at 10.30 outside of that abandoned home and then drove 50 minutes from Wausau to Deerbrook, which is where he lived. If this is true, that would have put Kevin home sometime after 11.30 p.m. and his mother said that she saw Kevin at home at midnight. With both men still persons of interest, authorities decided to search both Miguel and Kevin's cars with luminol, and to their surprise, both of their cars had spots that lit up from the luminol. They took samples from both cars and sent them off for testing, but they were unable to determine the origin of these spots. Since they weren't really able to rule the cars out, they decided to bring in cadaver dogs who were trained to track the scent of a dead body. But instead of letting the dogs sniff the cars individually, they put the cars in a lineup of 10 or so other cars. 
The dog handler that was brought in didn't know which car or cars were in question, so this was completely a blind test, and in my opinion, almost the best way to see if either car would get a hit. The dog did end up hitting on one of the cars, and honestly, no surprise to me, it was Kevin's car. But because they didn't have any solid evidence that Kevin did anything to Kayla or that Kayla was even deceased, they couldn't arrest him just because the dog had a hit. They had to keep on digging to see what else they could learn. When searching through Kevin's cell phone records, they were able to confirm that on the night that she went missing, Kayla did call Kevin from her dad's house. But they found something also very interesting. Around the time that Kevin had said he dropped off Kayla at that abandoned house, his phone was either turned off or it died. And it wasn't turned back on until sometime after 2 a.m. And I'm sure all of your true crime brains are going off that something isn't right here, but authorities found that this wasn't something that happened just once for his phone. This was something that happened several times throughout the cell phone records that they searched for him. But the fact that it literally happened right when he said he dropped her off is almost too perfect. But again, it could absolutely mean nothing. While digging into Kevin more, they were still keeping Miguel in their minds, and it was during this time that they learned a new piece of information about Miguel that made them think maybe Miguel wasn't as truthful as they thought. Authorities learned that Miguel had kept it a secret that he apparently had a second cell phone, and for whatever reason, he never told them about it. When they pulled the records for the second cell phone, they found that the phone had made two phone calls on the night that Kayla had gone missing. The calls that were made were so short that no conversation could have happened, and the location that these calls came from were west of Antigo and north of Wausau. And not only that, the calls were made about three hours after Kayla had allegedly been dropped off. But it did stick out to authorities that it appeared that this phone wasn't used very much any other time, but just so happened to be used twice on the night that Kayla vanished. And it also obviously stuck out that this phone was kept a secret from authorities as well. Once more though, this isn't enough evidence to arrest anyone and it could mean absolutely nothing. But it does raise a lot of questions because if this phone was used somewhere else, did that mean Miguel wasn't even home on that night? Or had he actually seen Kayla and then they went somewhere and then something happened wherever those calls came from? There is just so many questions. And what's frustrating to a lot of people with this case is when the truth came out about this second cell phone, Miguel stopped cooperating with police. He refused to talk further and he got a lawyer. It was also around this time that Kevin also lawyered up. Which, let me just remind everyone, this doesn't mean guilt at all, so let's not jump to conclusions on why they decided at this point to lawyer up. With all of the conflicting stories and secrets coming out, authorities were certain that something bad had happened to Kayla, and they were not stopping their search for answers. 
In 2011, they conducted multiple searches with cadaver dogs and got some hints. One of those locations they searched was a small lake that was located across from where the abandoned house that Kayla had allegedly been dropped off at. And the dogs hit on it. Dive teams were brought in, and unfortunately, this led to nothing. There was also two other locations that dogs had alerted the scent of human remains. And surprisingly, but not surprisingly, both of these locations were connected one way or another to Kevin. The first was on the large family property where Kevin had lived. And the second location the dog hit was at a potato farm where Kevin had worked. Even though they now had three different cadaver dog hits hitting in locations that are known to Kevin or belong to Kevin, they still were unable to find any kind of physical evidence to link Kevin to her disappearance. But the fact that the dog hit first on his car, then on the property where he lived, and on his workplace is just way too much of a coincidence for me to consider any other possibility than him being involved somehow. But without physical evidence, there was not a ton that they could do. At this point, there was nothing more authorities could really do because they had done everything in their power to try and find Kayla. They did searches upon searches and still nothing. So the case went cold and kind of just sat until years later when something surfaced. This is where that YouTube video I mentioned earlier comes into play. This video was posted just a few months after Kayla went missing, but it would be years later before it actually went viral. And when it went viral, it had everyone on the edge of their seats. And I personally do not remember this video going viral, but when I watched it during the research of this case, it made me feel completely uneasy. This video is known as the High Walter video, and it is just so odd and disturbing, and it literally just ekes me out. I will link that video in the description of this episode so you can watch it for yourself. But in this video, there is a man talking to someone named Walter. In this video, he's talking about how he met the most amazing girl at the mall. He continues on to describe their time at the mall, and then at the end of the video, he says that he will show you his girlfriend, even though his girlfriend hates cameras. The video then goes to him in what appears to be like a basement, and he opens up a locked door, and when he opens the door, there is a young woman who appears to be bound on the floor of a bathroom, and she is screaming and begging, and then the man enters the bathroom, and he slams the door shut while she continues to scream. This video scared so many people, and as the views began to rise on it, people started thinking that this woman resembled Kayla Berg a ton. Authorities were notified, and again, this was posted just months after Kayla vanished, but it wouldn't go viral until years later. Authorities worked hard to figure out who these people were, where this video came from, and whether or not it was real or not. 
they brought in the FBI to help them. And while they were working on that, authorities showed this video to Kayla's family, hoping that maybe they could identify whether it was Kayla. Her family was absolutely sickened by this video. They said that it sounded like Kayla, the build of this woman looked like Kayla, and they even had the same hair color. To them, this was 100% Kayla, and they were absolutely heartbroken and horrified, which I can imagine made them feel absolutely sick that this video was posted just after she went missing and then it wouldn't surface for years later. Thankfully, they were able to track down who this video came from and found out that this was in no way connected to Kayla and that this video was created by amateur filmmakers and it was 100% fake. They also created other videos that were similar in fashion and it seems like they were all about that shocking and scary content. They absolutely didn't mean any ill intent by it, and though I think most of us do not find this funny or entertaining, it was 100% innocent on the filmmaker's part. But the saddest thing for me about this entire fake video is the fact that Kayla's family was completely sold that this was a glimpse into what happened to their daughter. And to them, this was completely real and horrifying. Then they find out that it's fake and not Kayla. I am sure that there was some relief in knowing that it wasn't her, but they're brought back to that place of wondering what happened again. It's very unfortunate and my heart hurts for her family having to endure not only her disappearance, but also thinking that this video was Kayla. But one thing that this video did do was spark a new interest in Kayla's case. A lot of people were now aware of Kayla and the fact that she was missing. It also caused a surge in tips to come in to the tip line. But unfortunately, none of those tips led anywhere. And the case went cold once more. As the years go on, tips do still come in on the case. But nothing of Kayla has yet to be found. She is out there somewhere. Again, people do not just go poof and someone knows something. All it takes is one person to come forward with even the smallest amount of information or maybe a rumor that they heard that they thought wasn't true, but it could very well be true. There are people out there that hold the key to this mystery and it's just a matter of reaching that person and pulling on their heartstrings for them to come forward. I fully believe that the more we keep these stories alive and the more awareness that comes on these cases, the better the chances are that we will see closure. There are people out there who hold the answers that Kayla's family so desperately need and they might not realize it. Unfortunately, Kayla's father Jim passed away before he could ever find out what happened to his daughter. And in his final days and hours, he made it known that his dying wish was that everyone kept the search up for Kayla and never quit fighting for answers. There are obviously a lot of questions that remain unanswered. And though we have two individuals who authorities have really focused on, there truly is the possibility that Kayla was dropped off at this house and something happened to her that is completely unrelated to Kevin or Miguel. 
Obviously, there's a lot of speculation because the amount of times that those cadaver dogs hit on items and places connected to Kevin, but that may just be a coincidence. Either way, someone needs to come forward to help bring this case some closure and for Kayla's family to finally get those answers. Kayla Berg was last seen on August 11th, 2009. At the time of her disappearance, Kayla was 15 years old. If she still is alive today, she would be now 28 years old, almost 29. At the time of her disappearance, Kayla was 5'2 and weighed 108 pounds. She is a white female with brown hair and brown eyes. She has a scar on her right shin and small chickenpox scars on her right cheek and the right side of her nose. Kayla also has a scar on her abdomen from when she had surgery to have her appendix removed. Kayla has her belly button pierced and her ears are double pierced. Kayla was last seen wearing a red spaghetti strap top, a dark blue hoodie, blue jeans, and tan sandals, and a silver ringed necklace. If you or anyone you know has information, you can call the Anago Police Department at 715-627-6411. There's also a Facebook group called Missing Kayla Berg. I encourage everyone to go and join the group to follow along with Kayla's story and to show her family some love and support. Kayla's mother is an admin of the group, and I'm sure that any support and new members means the absolute world to her. I can imagine that it's a constant reminder that her daughter isn't forgotten, and people care enough about her and her story to continue to follow and share. I will have the Facebook group linked in the description of this episode, so please, again, go join it and show them some love. Crimeaholics, that is all for this week's Missing Monday. If you're not already a part of our private Facebook group, make sure you join it by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. In there, we share all pictures and information pertaining to the cases that we cover. We also encourage all of our members to share all things true crime. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram and on TikTok at crimeaholics.podcast. And if you wish to follow myself personally, you can find me on Instagram at crimeaholly. Crimeaholics, until next time, be aware and take care. 